Hello and welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Adam and I want to welcome you to these special year-end edition sermons at the end of 2021. We've got a special treat for you over the next 10 days. We are going to be counting down the top 10 episodes from this year since we started our premium podcast. And we're very excited to present these to you. We had a discussion about how to rate uh, these episodes and which ones should be at the top of the list. And uh, finally, we came down to the decision that we wanted to do top 10 for sure. But uh, should we pull the numbers from our free podcast or should we pull them from our premium listeners only? And so we decided to split the baby and do five of both. And so what you're going to hear over the next 10 days is you're going to hear the top five episodes that were streamed on our free platform. And then you're going to hear the top five episodes from the premium platform. And what that means is these are the episodes that garnered the the highest number of downloads since they had been released. And so we're going to start out today with number five. This is a sermon that comes from the Tucson Conference Pastor Isaiah Trujillo. This was released back in June, and uh, this is a sermon called The Waiting Room. Very powerful message. We pray that it will be a help to you, and we look forward to sharing the top 10 episodes from the podcast as we close out the year 2021. Enjoy. Psalms 37, uh, verse 7. I am going to minister... um, some of the things that I've been through, and, and I want to uh, glorify God in everything, but I believe that um, in much of the things that over the last 12 months that have transpired, I would, um, I'm just praying to contribute something to your life. And so I want to encourage you to open your hearts, uh, your, let, your, let God speak to your soul tonight, and I believe that he is going to help us. Um, since June 1st of 2019, um, unfortunately, as Pastor Gabe mentioned, I was diagnosed with stage four metastasis disease. And um, since June 1st, in 12 months, unfortunately, I've had to be in a doctor's office 78 times. And that's everything from consultations to surgeries um, to blood work and everything in between that comes with being at the doctor's office that many times. Um, and what I will tell you is that the most difficult part of that um, wasn't even trying to process the different scenarios or news or test results, and some of them were very devastating, but to be honest with you, it was the waiting room. Because in the waiting room, there's no conversation, there's no information to dissect, there's nothing to hold on to, there's nothing to process. You're simply left there in a place filled with anxieties, filled with anticipation, filled with unanswered questions. The waiting room is the place of not knowing. And probably the most emotional stress that I had to endure were in those simple moments in the waiting room as your knee is bouncing and uh, you know sweat is 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 accumulating and seeing other people in the waiting room just trying to uh, figure out what's going to happen if you can only imagine we are people who assume usually the worst in situations 
And so your mind is racing 100 miles an hour. Your heart is simply trying to keep up. And it seems like things are about to explode out of your chest. And you're there. And the worst part was the waiting room. And I had to learn how to be consoled and comforted, not only by the Holy Spirit, but by sound biblical theology. And so I don't want this to turn into just something that I'm trying to bring a motivational point. Because what we need in times of stress or unknowing are just not, you know, triumphant songs. We need the Word of God, which gives us faith. Can you say amen? To be a foundation, serious theology that will work on our behalf in your waiting room. And I want to minister a sermon entitled, The Waiting Room. Psalms 37, verse 7. I'm going to read this in the NLT, and I want to use this as a launching point for, as a theological statement. And just this one verse, and the context is that this psalm is written to men and not to God. And so I want this to be something that approaches our minds this evening. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I bind fear right now in the name of Jesus. I rebuke it. You have no power. And by the blood of the Lamb, I pray that minds and souls would be redeemed with a covering of your promises. God, we thank you for your grace, and we pray for your grace and your anointing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently. I want to consider with you the life of Joseph. I'm going to use this as really a narrative. Um, No doubt uh, there is a lot to be said. Thousands of sermons have been preached out of his life, but I really want to pinpoint and focus in on a few things. The life of Joseph is summarized in Genesis 37 through 50. At 17 years old, he was betrayed by his own brothers. And after starting as the lowest servant in the ranks, he worked his way up to basically being Potiphar's CEO. And in that, falsely accused and then sent to prison again, He again started from the bottom, betrayed by a a, a butler who he interpreted a dream only to get out uh, and uh, finally get out of prison. And everything that he went through, uh, you're talking about a man who went through tremendous trials and tribulations, not necessarily birthed from the uh, mistakes that he made, but perpetrated upon him from other people. And in his life, I believe there are incredible lessons that must be learned for you and I. You can spend 20 minutes in reading about his life. And we could walk through that, and I believe it could be very profitable. But I want you to understand this is not something that is just read. This is something that he lived through, and we must understand it in that context. Genesis chapter 40 and 41 and 1 are the two verses I just want to pinpoint. I just, I really just want to take that lens and really focus in here in this text. 
Because I want you to understand a couple of things that's going on, I believe, that are going to minister to us. The Bible says these words. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Then we jump into chapter 41. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. When Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he was put into jail. And in that jail, he found favor again, and God began to help him and bless him. And in that situation, the Bible tells us that there was a baker, and there was a butler or a cupbearer who had dreams, and Joseph obviously being able to interpret dreams by the anointing of God, he in, uh, uh, inquired with these men to interpret these dreams. And so he interpreted the dreams, and one, uh, not so much good news, but the cupbearer that he was going to be restored. Uh, this was great news to a man who was in jail. And the Bible says that this cupbearer promised, uh, the moment I get out of jail, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go right before the king, and I'm going to testify on your behalf, uh, and what's right is right. And these two verses that we just read simply summarize what took place after promises like that fell through. The Bible says that the cupbearer left, but in leaving, he forgot about his promise to Joseph. And in verse 41, the Bible, or in chapter 41, the Bible says, two full years later, another dream comes upon Pharaoh, and we can, we'll work through the rest of the story in that context. But something that you can glance over in just a few seconds We can't miss what's being said here. And I believe this speaks not only to the situation that we're reading in the Bible, but I believe it can speak powerful truth and convey powerful truth to you and I in our hearts in any situation that we're living in now. Here's how I would sum it up. Joseph was forgotten about, and for two years, for two full years, He sat with anticipation for a promise to be accomplished. Two years. We've been in quarantine and pandemic for three months, and some of y'all forgot already how to speak in tongues. (laughs) Two years. Two full years sitting there. I imagine the very first day uh, he goes and he makes his bed and gets his belongings and uh, here it's coming every time the door opens, uh, waiting for a good word, the butler promised. But for two years, he sat there in isolation. That's 24 months of silence, 104 weeks of waiting, 730 days of wondering, 2,190 meals alone, 17,520 hours listening for God, yet hearing nothing but silence. No Bible conference, no pastor to call, no friend to encourage him, no Bible to read. I mean, he couldn't even listen to Joel Osteen. And that guy's everywhere. Nothing. Not a word. Simply waiting. See, waiting is the hardest part. We twiddle our thumbs why something uploads. <laughs> we say Christian bad words when, you know, somebody holds up the line at McDonald's. 
Waiting is the hardest part, especially in the waiting room. To navigate your life and your mind through circumstances that present its solutions unknown. And we are people, as I said, that obviously assume the worst. See, the problem in the waiting room, and when you don't have information or any kind of revelation, you're just simply sitting there, is we begin to imagine conclusions. Fear can run wild in our minds and go completely unchecked. And the problem in that situation is when it compounds with impatience. So you don't have answers for your future, uh, and you're in the waiting room, and so uh, you have fear, there's anxieties, and so now you are imagining things, and you couple that with uh, impatience, and you can make a mess out of your life pretty quick. See, because nothing works out when impatience dictates our spiritual posture. See, it's not just the waiting, it's what... These unknowns produce. And I'm telling you, man, I have watched people through these conclusions of impatience literally tear apart their families and their destinies. Impatience never bears good fruit. You consider with me Abraham and Hagar. Generational problems because he couldn't wait. King Saul lost his entire kingdom, impaled himself with his own sword, his very sons dying in the battlefield, unwilling to wait for the prophet, unwilling to wait on God, heeding the words of the people, impatience, impatience, impatience. He lost everything because he couldn't survive the waiting room. The children of Israel crafting a golden calf, simply waiting for Moses to come down with the word of God, unwilling to wait on God. And here they are giving over to idolatry and an entire generation dies in a desert because they failed in the waiting room. See, these decisions are connected and are framed by a mindset that has been contaminated by impatience. Do you ever lose patience? Let me rephrase that. Do you have kids? <laughs> Amen. You know, lifting holy hands and pastor singing, and your children, and your children, and your children. Your hands are up, and your children. It's a lot of kids, man. Sounds like Mormons. And your children, and you look over, and your kids are raising their hands, and you're smiling, but you look closer, and they're not raising their hands. They're throwing gang signs. <laughs> In church, and you know there's some ex-bloods across the way. Hey, stop it. And you want to just, let me just, you know, let me just give you a spiritual answer. But you lose patience, you know, and your wife's over there cross-eyed and demon-possessed. You know, if you had patience, it would, you know, bring sound correction. But no, you're threatening them with the shank you have in your sock. (laughs) Impatience never works out. From road rage to relationships. I was about to start church some years ago. 
And a man in my church comes in pale-faced, breathing hard. And his wife walks in, and the first thing she says is, this guy's an idiot. About to have church, man. He said, man, he got in a road rage thing. He chased this guy. They got out in the middle of the road, and they're about to box, Pastor, right before church. This dude's my song leader. <laughs> man, we didn't have a countdown, but I was like, I just gave him the sign of the cross and said, get up there, boy. I'm not even Catholic. I didn't grow up there. I just didn't know what to do. Patience, impatience will never bear good fruit in your life. Ladies, the Bible says don't wake love before it's time. It'll never work out for you if you rush into love. You don't want to hear that. We want to get married before the rapture, Pastor. You know, we don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> I had a girl in my office one time, and uh, I was trying to explain this point because the guy she brought in that she supposedly was the love of her life. I mean, you could smell a scrub from a mile away. And she began to rebuke me. You don't understand. You're not a woman. You know, what do you want, Pastor? Do you want me to never get married? And then I'm going to get a cat. You know, and I'm going to get another cat. I'm going to get three cats, four or five cats. Do you want to be the cat lady, pastor? Look, you don't have to become the cat lady, but you don't have to marry a moron. Come on, somebody. You know what? She married this dude. God help me. Lord, forget that. Let's move on. If you don't wait, you're going to get a scrub. Some of you don't know what a scrub is. If you're from the 90s, you know... It's someone sitting on the passenger side of his best friend's ride <laughs> trying to holler at you. Wait, Lisa left eye. Don't chase waterfalls. Let's move on. I want to talk to you about interpretation. Because in our text, what we find is a man who was simply placed in the waiting room. And this can cause all kinds of things in our minds and our hearts. The Bible tells us that he is summoned from the jail. See, your waiting room might not be a jail cell. It may be a sickness or a prodigal son or daughter, an unsaved spouse calling. It might be financial but there's an area in your life where you are in the waiting room and your ability to process and interpret life correctly is going to be the key in surviving with your mind and your soul. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, 
Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. You know, when there was a period of time in in my doctor's visits that, you know, everything, every news, every diagnosis, every everything the doctor said was 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 bad. And I was like, okay, so before we go in, we're in the waiting room, it could be this or it could be this. And it was always the worst thing. It wasn't just, you know, being sick. It was stage four. It wasn't just that they found it in this area. It spread here. And there was just this stretch of time, I would say about four months of these doctor visits, that everything was just, was just the worst news. It was just always the worst case. And I, I remember just on my knees and saying, God, I can't take, I can't take another bad negative prognosis. I can't, you know, it's just, I felt so empty. You know, I, I was holding on to every scent of motivation that I had, man, I'm, I'm calling upon every sermon that I've ever heard, every conference that I ever attended, and it seemed like I was just running out of will. And in the stillness, you know, God is so faithful. It, it wasn't that God said, thus saith the Lord, everything's going to be fine. He's just, I'm with you. And, and I want to tell you something in that context of being faced with tr- tremendous warfare of things that are going on, you know, and we, we conclude these things, bad stuff's not supposed to happen to us, and all these things, and I remember just losing my mind, but interpreting life properly, you know what, I may not have good news, but I know this, God is with me, and I want to tell you something, I survived some very intense battles. I, I was telling somebody I had just some knockout, dragout fights with depression and anxiety, and you can only imagine some of those things that were taking place. And I remember just the only thing I really had was that God was with me. That was, that's all I could really hear is God saying, I'm with you. Well, that's not really what I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear it's over, you're done with it, and it's never coming back, but all I got was I'm with you. See, being able to hear God's voice properly is so important. Being able to hear the voice of the shepherd, that, you know, that's really the context of discipleship. My sheep know my voice, and that is challenged, and everything else is saying something different. You know, when I was doing my chemotherapies, they told me I would get something called chemo brain. It's where you get foggy, you don't remember things, and they were also pumping me full of steroids. And so, you know, I was roid raging. And so if this illustration doesn't go right, I'm going to blame it on that. This one's iffy. 
So just put your seatbelt on and don't throw up in your mask. <laughs> Deal? Okay, one person. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say this as eloquently as I can. Ready? So my uncle had a colonoscopy. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, uh, and uh, okay, let me get through this. And uh, the doctor woke him up and he said, Sir, uh, we found four polyps in your lower intestine and we removed them. Uh, the problem was he didn't hear the word polyp. He heard the word puppet. <laughs> he says, puppets? How did those get there? <laughs> yeah, chemo brain. You know, something is very profound about that very inappropriate illustration. You know, number one, hearing the right things change everything. Can you say amen? Number two, my uncle never watched Sesame Street ever the same way <laughs> again. <laughs> Chemo brain, Pastor Warner. <laughs> I mean, what do you hear when you're struggling? God doesn't care. My pastor doesn't love me. I'm not called to preach. I need to go to a different church. I mean, what do you hear? Because interpreting God's voice and direction is so important when you're in the waiting room. The Bible tells us as Joseph comes, Pharaoh gives him the dream. There is going to be, there were seven, you know, skinny uh, um, uh, oxen there, and it ate the fatted calves. And, and Joseph was able to take that information and see God's will properly. Uh, we're talking about seven years of plenty and then seven years uh, of famine. It's so poetic because in essence there is uh, some symbolism going on in this interpretation where Joseph is proclaiming what uh, the interpretation is, but, it, but that interpretation was saying that God is in control in the years of famine and God is in control in the years of plenty. See, it's processing those seasons that get you to survive the struggles in our minds and the spiritual mental warfare that rages upon us. See, no one would have, no one would have thought twice if Joseph went in there and they said, Joseph, we have a dream for you to, to, uh, you know, to interpret. Really? A dream? Really? You know, it was the dream that got my brothers to um, you know, betray me. And then a dream that I was supposed to get out of jail, but nope, nope. Really, you want me to interpret? I got your interpretation. Bye, Felicia. That's my interpretation. I mean, no one would have said anything. But what is powerful in our, in our scriptures is a man enduring such intense betrayal and chaos and interpreting and hearing from God clearly. See, it was a reflection on keeping his heart right. People have abandoned their faith for far less time and far fewer reasons. And he's there clearly comprehending and proclaiming God's plan. See, what we need is a steady hand and a sober mind. There were times in my last year where, look, I just couldn't make decisions. 
until I had a grip. You know, there are some people that just, they only make life decisions when things are crazy. Can I just give you some advice? Man, take a deep breath. Take a day. Take a week. Pray about it. Because you're going to need a steady hand and a sober mind. See, when your emotions are out of control, it's hard to distinguish what's God and what's yourself and what's the enemy. There are empty seats in our churches that, that symbolize people who lost their faith in their minds when they were placed in the waiting room. Destinies sabotaged because you're going to need a steady hand and a sober mind. See, what we need is good theology. You know, I get it. You know, today we live in a world where these churches are just seeker-sensitive, you know. And I even understand the appeal of extreme prosperity preaching. And I get why people want that. You know, we live in a generation where people want pastor to be Oprah, you know. He gets up there, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, and everybody gets a car. But is God only good when things are good? I mean, we say, praise God, the cancer is in remission. But what about when it's not? See, what you believe matters. What, what faith, what foundation, what theology you have matters. Because if it's only based on experiences, then it's gonna, when you fall, it's going to hurt, man. See, we seek understanding, no doubt. Some time back, I had a pastor who used to be in our fellowship, and he backslid and came back and very, you know, hyper-spiritual. And, you know, he walks in the church one day, and he says, Pastor, I was riding my bike, and um, I checked out this chick, <laughs> and then I wrecked, and I broke my fingers holding up, and his hands all twisted all crazy. <laughs> and, uh... I mean, what do you say to that, you know? Hey, man, stop looking at girls' butts, bro, you know, and driving the bike lane, homie. You know, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, but I get it. I get where he was coming from. It's where a lot of us are theologically. I get it. Because if we can put a reason there, if we can make sense of it, then we can predict what happens next. I mean, we live in a cause and effect universe. This is, these are the rules that God placed upon humanity. It's called reaping and sowing. But I, I just wonder, when, when Joseph is adding up mathematically the good deeds compared to what he did, he's probably scratching his head like, what did I do wrong? Because sometimes the way, the, the formulas that life presents to you, we don't, we don't have the answers to lay out practical conclusions, man. Sometimes it just doesn't add up. That's the waiting room. I, I, I'm all for it. We want, we want revelation, God. We want to know why. But what are you going to do when you don't have any answers? What are you going to do when it doesn't make sense? You know, these are the disciples. They're prompting along, chest, chest puffed out. Jesus, why was this man sick? Why was he blind? Is it his sin or someone else's sin? And, uh, you know, we're going to figure this out, Lord. Jesus says it was no one's sin. It was that God would be glorified. Something in this man's ailment. 
was completely part of the sovereign plan of God. How it worked out, why it was, why is there suffering, all the questions that drive people to mindsets of atheism. We, we may not be able to understand or calculate all that. And this is where so many Christians stub their toes, isn't it? I mean, we're going to serve God when things are good. But you lose a job, you lose faith. You get furloughed in, in, uh, you know, in the coronavirus. And now it's like, well, I just don't know what I believe anymore. Son or child backslides. I, I guess I just got to pull myself out of the ministry, pastor. So you need a steady hand and a sober mind. See, God is not the author of our problems. But we know this. For some purpose that we may not comprehend today, he allows them. Can I tell you something, friend? I don't know what you believe. Let me just say this. God is completely sovereign. And he sits on the throne even when there's famine. And he sits on the throne when there's plenty. He is completely sovereign. Psalms 37, verse 7 says again, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about what evil people do and how they prosper. You know what he's saying? He's saying don't allow the circumference of your perspective, establish a theological perspective of your future. He is saying don't be a prisoner of the moment. His plan goes far beyond what your eyes and mind can see. Yes, it is cause and effect. Yes, it is reaping and sowing. But the boundaries of those rules are far beyond anything we can comprehend. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above ours. There are going to come situations in life where you can't add it up. I mean, we love to do it, don't we? We love to attach every bad problem we did to some bad outcome. I remember sitting there being diagnosed and saying to myself, now what did I do? I mean, what did I do that, that brought about this, this, this situation? I mean, I'm repenting of things I didn't even do, you know? I, 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 I was just baffled. And I can stand here and preach this gospel and still tell you, I don't know. But that doesn't mean God's not faithful. Maybe it was all so I can stand in front of you and proclaim his power and sovereignty and his plan for your life right now as I say these words. See, this is the working definition, I believe, of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. I read a quote from Max Lucado who said, God at times permits tragedies. He permits the ground to grow dry and the stocks to grow bare. He allows Satan to unleash mayhem, but he does not allow Satan to triumph. He alone holds the keys to destiny and triumph. All things work together for good. God works all things for good. You know, we may not have an answer or a combination to what is locked before us in whatever ailment, whatever trial and tribulation you're facing right now. I may not be able to say, do this, say this, do this, and unlock all the uh, prosperity that we could ever 
hold on to. But we may not have that answer for today, but we have a promise for forevermore. See, the waiting room is not just about inactivity. Well, I'm just waiting on God. Pastor Isaiah said, I'm not going to do nothing. You know what the waiting room is? You know what waiting is? It's a sustained effort to stay focused on God. It's holding on to a promise. It's being anchored by the words, the living word that speaks to us. All things work together. Well, bro, how is this working out? How's that? I don't know, but you know what? All things work for good. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. All things work for good. This is why David wrote, don't fret, man. Don't turn your eyes to the things that you can see right now. There is something working beyond your comprehension. And sometimes all you can do is hold on to the profound anchor that is the promise of his word that God is still in control no matter how you feel. All things work together for good. As I close, last year, right before I got sick, I, um, Pastor Ray Ruby took me along to preach in Romania. And uh, it was a great time. I got to preach in the church in Bucharest. And um, obviously I'm preaching with an interpreter. And so we're, we're sitting down for dinner and... I met a couple there named Margarita and Dima, and they're going to put their picture up. They had such an impact on me. And um, Margarita and Dima were just in their early 20s. They were just got married right before I got there. And um, they both grew up in an orphanage. They actually grew up in the same orphanage <laughs> by a Miracle, they ended up in the same church and remembered each other and got married. Well, we would be sitting there at the dinner table, and it just so happened there was a missionary from Russia who was in Bucharest to start a a rehab center, but he didn't speak English or Romanian. So when we talked, uh, Margarita spoke like seven languages, and Dima spoke uh, Romanian and Russian, and so, you know, to say, you know, how old is your son took like five minutes to go like four languages. But Margarita and Dima actually committed their entire lives to follow around this Russian missionary to preach the gospel and to establish a rehab center. And what touched me is that when we say an orphanage, you know, this is not some Disney movie. Multiple times they would be adopted. Yeah, we don't like this one. Send them back. This wasn't once. This was a cycle of in and out of people's homes. When you talk about rejection, being adopted, yeah, this is your new family, new mommy and daddy, and you know, after a month, you know, we don't think we want to be parents no more, so we're going to go ahead and send you back. Years. I mean, how, how could a loving God allow somebody to, you know, these are the questions in the waiting room, aren't they? How are we going to make sense out of this? You know what happened when they were 
When they're being adopted, they learn languages, multiple languages. And today they travel around all of Eastern Europe interpreting the gospel message to addicts, getting saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what are you going to tell somebody who's being accepted and rejected, accepted and rejected? You don't have an answer for that. All you can say is, I don't know what God has planned, but here's what I can tell you. All things work together for good. I'm not trying to insult anybody here or disregard your trials or tribulations this evening. It's not about comparing my problems to yours or vice versa. I'm here to tell you that the waiting room can either devastate your faith or deepen it. I'm here to proclaim that all things work together for good and whatever you're going through and whatever you're facing, whatever trials are before you, whatever combinations of issues just seem far beyond your understanding. I tell you, don't give up, man. There is an anchor in this word that will see you through the worst trials of life. I've seen people, man, lose children, uh, diagnoses, and see their faith illuminate, man. I'm telling you, all things work together for good. It was my second chemo. You got to go in there, and they clean you up, and I have a port, and they plug in. They give you all these pre-drugs, and I'm sitting there in this chair about to endure you know, six hours of hell. I'm looking around this room, and there's all these people getting ready to get hooked up and dreading, man, what, uh, man, Lord, why? As I begin to look at the room and see all these people, it dawned on me that no one there at least that I know, had a Pastor Warner who had been through the same thing, texted me and called me on the phone. God saw him through it. He'll see you through it. I went from feeling sorry for myself to feeling sorry for them. It was an anchor. It was something that kept my mind on the purpose of God. I may not understand what's happening right now. It sure doesn't feel good. But don't fret. Wait patiently. Don't give in, man. God has a plan. He has a purpose. We can make it through the waiting room. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.